Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. NFL Network had the uh, contract numbers for T.Y. Hilton. 600000 guaranteed. Some playoff incentives. On top of that, uh, makes up a max value for T.Y. Hilton of $1.5 million as he joins the Dallas Cowboys. I wonder, Jake, how much it was on T.Y.'s mind of, I want to watch Eugene play his first, you know, I think full, full varsity football season at Zinesville and then make a move kind of post-Thanksgiving, end of December. I think that probably factored in. I think also, Kevin... There are certain things that happen where you reach a point. You know, T.Y. Hilton was theoretically at the point in his life where I'm certain. I don't know this for a fact. I think we can all assume it. Uh, You know, he probably didn't need money, right? I mean, it wasn't like he's like, oh, man, I you know, my 401k, I got behind on it and I didn't contribute enough. I mean, what did he make in his last career, his last contract? Yeah, right. I, I would guess he's. And doing okay. And he seems like a pretty smart guy. I mean, you know, he's not an outlandish. Cost of living in Zinesville, Indiana, I don't think it's over the top. Correct. It's not like he's buying private, you know, you get it. So I think he just was in the situation where if you are T.Y. Hilton, especially at the age, at T.Y. Hilton's age, the bounce back for the body is a lot less than what it is when you are 24. Yeah. Just turned 33, T.Y. And so. You know, he probably was like, you know what? I have the luxury from a financial and name recognition standpoint to be able to be selective. And I don't need to just go and sign a deal to go play with the Jacksonville Jaguars to be on a roster. I don't need to just go at the last minute in September and sign a deal to go toil in complete wide receiver anonymity with the Chicago Bears just to be on a roster. So you hang out, you you kind of enjoy life, you get your body rested, quite frankly, and you spare your body the rest or, or the, the punishment of the rigors of every week. And then at the end, you go, okay, so whose who's car do I want to get in here? I mean, we're at lap 180 of the Indy 500. Who's running well in the top 10? You know, I mean, a Connor Daly or an Elio Castroneves that's sitting on the outside looking for a ride. That, I mean, Castroneves is not, but you get what I'm saying. For the Indy 500, if you if you were to ask him and say, you know what, like you can jump into a car lap 180 that's running ninth, or you can start in the 30th position from the get go. Which one would you take, right? So I get it, and I didn't realize necessarily. Tell me this, Kevin. I was surprised that it was Dallas, though. I mean, not not from a the record standpoint, but pardon my naivete here. But but what all of a sudden facilitated for Dallas to have the need to call up to Zionsville, Indiana? You know, if I'm not mistaken, I think he visited Dallas back kind of late summer, um, maybe even some point during training camp into the preseason. So I think this was always a potential team. I think Dallas looks at it and feels very comfortable about what they have, but feel like another wide-out move was necessary. And then there's just no slam dunk that Odell Beckham Jr. A, is going to sign with them, and B, is healthy enough to impact right now. I mean, the thing about Dallas, Jake, they're going to be on the road in all likelihood week one of the playoffs. Dallas is not going to be able to ease into this playoff run. I mean, they are at Tampa Bay if the playoffs started today. It's been that way for the last couple of weeks. It's looking like it will continue to be that way. So when you factor that in, you know, you're going to have to, if you want to make a run to the Super Bowl, potentially win three road playoff games. And I think it's a credit to T.Y. that Dallas felt like this move 
that they needed to make that move and T.Y. was the one that they wanted to make that move with in that you look at what they have. C.D. Lamb, of course, will get all the attention as that number one wideout. They obviously have a really good running back duo in Tony Pollard and Zeke. Their tight end group is pretty deep. But yet they feel like Hilton can come in there. And again, there's connections on the coaching staff with Joe Philbin and Scott Tolzien being on that coaching staff. That T.Y.'s kind of earned the right as a pro that, hey, he can come in here. There's still a little bit of juice left in the tank. And he'll be a good pro even if his targets are only three or four over the course of a game. Right. I mean, that's the thing, right? You have to know that. I, I think that we... Because it's a luxury move. It's not like Dallas is in a desperate need. It's not like CeeDee Lamb tore his ACL last week. They're trying to find this balance of, can we get a little bit of help, but not ruffle the feathers too much? How long have you played fantasy football, Kevin? Oh, gosh. I don't... A decade. Probably, I don't know. Mark, how long have you played fantasy football? I'm horrible at oh, it. Jeez, probably 15 years. Okay. At least. Have either one of you guys had a situation in fantasy football where you looked at it and you're like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. My running back's on a bye. So you go on the available players list and you see a name that pops out and you're like, holy cow. Or even during the draft when you're doing an online draft and you're like, hang on, hold the phone. I can't believe this guy's available. As a fifth rounder, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you take him, right? And you're like, People are like, how's your fantasy team? You're like, dude, you're not going to believe this. I got Dante Moncrief in the fifth round. Or you, you you won't believe this. Adrian Peterson was available. And I, I, I totally picked him up. Who's he with now? Ah, I think Washington. And then the results come in and you're like, wait a minute. There's a reason this guy was around. Like, he didn't do anything for me. But in your mind, you were looking at the name and you were seeing the results from three years ago in your head. You're like, this guy's a dynamic player. Well, he's not anymore. But in your mind, you were like, wow, I had no idea how quickly they'd fall off a shelf. I'm not saying T.Y. Hilton has completely fallen off a shelf, Kevin. But what I'm saying is I think there are people that think, and who am I? Like, you know, you're not going to hear me sit here all the time and for just for the sake of it, jump up and down defending Chris Ballard. I try not to do the same on the other side either. But in this case... I don't think there should be anybody that's like, why in the world would Chris Ballard not sign T.Y. Hilton now that we know that he's ready to play? Because A, to your point, maybe he didn't want to play in Indianapolis. And B, I I do think that he is, there's the strong possibility that he becomes the guy that like the biggest news about him in Dallas was his signing. And that you're falling in love with, not you personally, but I think we fall in love with the numbers of like 2014 T.Y. Hilton just signed with Dallas. I don't think that's probably the case. No, no, not uh, yeah. I think I would be foolish to think that that Dallas believes that, thinks that, needs that. I think it's more of a can you be a supporting act? Can you be a veteran guy that has been there, has playoff experience? Can you make a couple catches when you know things get ratcheted up from a pressure standpoint? And C.D. Lamb is you know taken away, or there is a lot of attention towards him on that front. I think the load that he's expected to carry with the Cowboys as opposed to what he would have been told to carry with the Colts is vastly different. Excellent and that might point. have made a Excellent point, yes. big decision. Yeah. You know. And I think that that was lightning a little bit last year as Michael Pittman started to emerge. Uh, but yes, I, I think that is a good, good point. Uh, did you think at all with the Matt Ryan news yesterday that it was kind of a wasted year for Sam Ellinger? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, Kevin, this this has been my... The 10-game evaluation for Sam Ellinger lasted two. And it cost them the chance at the playoffs. This is what drives me insane about the Indianapolis Colts and why people in this town, no matter where they're driving to work right now, should be driving past West 56th Street in protest. What drives me insane is now you're in a situation where they're now they've decided to go ahead and stop the drain from the water that's circling down it and the season being flushed away because they think they've got a chance to win now and still make maintain a postseason but that was entirely flushed down the toilet when they interrupted their entire season by supplanting into the roster into the starting lineup a quarterback that the owner insisted on seeing despite the fact that didn't nobody even knew for certain he was going to make the roster and then they put him in there they lost two games they yanked him back out and then they were screwed 
Nobody else asked him to do that. Don't create a problem and then turn around six weeks later and expect me and everybody else in this town to genuflect because of the manner in which you're going about solving a problem that you and only you created. It drives me absolutely insane. You're fired up. It drives me insane. It's it's masterful. We've seen it in so many aspects of American culture for the last five years. Create a problem that is 100% on your own shortcoming and misguidance and misevaluation. And then when you start to correct it, stand on the mountaintop waiting for everybody to pat you on the back for what a genius you are for correcting the problem. I didn't create it. Where's the correction of the problem? Well, now what I'm saying is they're like, look, we're all in on trying to win. Like We got Matt Ryan in there and we're going to try to win games. I'm saying hypothetically, if they if all of a sudden they go on a streak here and they're alive to get into the postseason, it's going to be like what grit, what resiliency, what what true deeping down to the you know the leader of men. And I'm like, yeah, except for the fact that you literally are just now rejoining the race because you decided to take a pit stop and change four tires when everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? I don't know if even the Sam Ellinger detour cost them a playoff spot though i think no i I don't think if matt ryan starts those two games it changes the direction of the season at all but i thought ellinger was that's not what i'm saying ellinger was fine against washington and you would have lost to the patriots with matt ryan or ellinger understood but what i'm saying is they regardless they lost those two games correct yes okay what so what was benefited by it well then you got to look at ellinger Uh, okay and again, but, I think but, this but is the, such a missed the message, opportunity though, with the this message, season. though, was very clear. The message when you made the decision to go to Ellinger was that you were turning the page on the year and looking forward. But see, that's a scary thing to a lot of people, Jake. That's not what Jim Irsay thought. I, Jim Irsay thought that Sam Ellinger was the better option right then, right now, to try and win football games in 2022. Then why didn't they stick with it? Because Jeff Saturday came in here, and there's more trust with Jeff Saturday than there was with Frank Reich. So he began to, so he was addressing a problem that wasn't really a problem. I, I again, I mean, Jeff Saturday on his Monday press conference, the introductory press conference says Sam Ellinger will be the starter, and then as the week moves along, it's then Matt Ryan is going to be the starter. Okay, I, again, I mean, they are a dysfunctional franchise. And it wasn't me that created the dysfunction. It wasn't you that created the dysfunction. It wasn't Stephen Holder that created the dysfunction. It wasn't Mike Wells when he was here that created the dysfunction. It wasn't Charlie Clifford. It wasn't Jacksonville. It wasn't Tennessee. The dysfunction started within the franchise. And, I mean, literally, the only thing that's missing is the sound effect of like, whoop, 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 whoop. Because it just looks like three guys going in three different directions to me. That's just my opinion. See, I think all three of That's them. That's the best I got. I think all three of them exciting. are on the same. They might be now, but I'm just saying over the last six Ballard's weeks, resume been. looks worse with every loss. And Jim Irsay wants Jeff Saturday to succeed, so he wants him to win football games. I don't think any of them are sitting there saying, oh my gosh, we have to tank to get the number one overall pick. I think Irsay knows the benefit of that behind the scenes. I think there are people telling Irsay that. But I'm not saying he's listening. He should. There's nobody in this town. Nobody. I'm telling you right now, if you're the Indianapolis Colts and you're listening to me right now, I love you. I love what you do for the city. And I love the fact that it allows my hometown to corral together and people to wear blue on Sundays in the grocery store and high five each other. There's a great camaraderie and chemistry that comes from a professional football team in this town. And I love, love, love what it means to this city. However, just so you know, ain't nobody in this town excited about you digging deep down, putting together some sort of run, believing in the fact that you can get into the playoffs, sliding yourself out of the top eight in picks to go onto the road and absolutely get annihilated and get your ass kicked by the Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills every, and then hang a banner that to pat yourself on the back for your resiliency of getting a wild card spot or winning a division that absolutely sucks and is the joke of the NFL. Ain't nobody excited about that. Nobody would care. Percentage of the fan base that would like to see a 4-0 finish, Titans go 1-3, and and you host your first home playoff game in eight years? 4%. 4%. The same that think it's cool that they have a wild card participant banner up in the rafters. 
and that like to hear bang on the drum for the 35th consecutive year of going to Colts games. I, I think I'm a fan of bang on these drums. <laughs> okay, that. Uh, how about taking care of business? <laughs> yeah, that one I could probably do without. Jack and Diane, what does that do for you? Yeah, to start the fourth quarter, I don't know if that really gets me. Third down, here we go, defensive stop time. I, I, I said it earlier, and again, when you stink and you've started a 37-year-old quarterback for 15 of 17 games, it's an absolute waste of a season. If you're going to be bad, play youth. And that, I right, think, is what is make a such decision, an issue. Make a decision and stick with it. That's what's such an issue with this season is it, it's a waste. And again, by no means am I acting like Sam Ellinger is some franchise godsend quarterback, but it was even a missed opportunity there. I mean, you look at San Francisco right now, I mean, they're at least going to get some evaluation with Brock Purdy. I mean, the Rams have decided, okay, we're not going to go washed-up veteran John Wolford to end the year. We'll go with Baker Mayfield to end the year and get some sort of, hey, it's shot in the dark. There's probably an 8% chance this works out, but we're going to go that route. The Colts are, no, 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 we're going to come back from the bye week and we're going to stick with the 37-year-old Matt Ryan. All chips in, period. With $17 million in financial guarantees sitting there if Matt Ryan were. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I get hurt. You know, I got to thinking about it. This song has to instantly, I would think, put Rick Carlisle right back in college. I was going to say, Van Halen, was that oh, man. one of his go-tos? So that, that album, I mean, Van Halen, 1984. And 1984, Rick Carlisle was in the Final Four with the Virginia Cavaliers. So that's got to be like right up his alley, I would think, right? We know he likes music. I was going to say, we asked him some music questions last time. He was on with us. I guess we can begin there with the coach of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Rick, you a big Van Halen guy? Uh, I wouldn't say big. I, you know, listened to a lot of it back in the 80s, as you guys are talking about. But um, that's not really my genre. I'm more of a traditional jazzer and stuff like that. So, yeah, but I, I respect their work for sure. That song, I just when I hear "Jump," I'm like instantly right back in, in, in that era, no question. Coach, um, thanks for joining us this morning. Let's begin with this since we talked to you last, because I think it was right at the outset of the season, you know. And I'm curious because our ebb and flows, obviously, when, especially with a young team. Where is this team right now versus maybe where you thought it would be at this point? Are you about where you thought you'd be? Well, I, you know. The expectation at the end of the year was that we were going to win 23 and a half games if you asked the Vegas odds makers. And a lot of people look at that to try to project things and predict, you know, the order of the draft and the future, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was, I was unsure exactly, you know, what the expectations should be. I felt we were um, better than that. Uh, headed into it because we have a great point guard and we've got some we've got some really solid veteran players that uh, you know I felt could play at the level that they're playing at you know talking about guys like Miles and talking about Buddy and you know McConnell and 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 guys like that so um, you know I'm not surprised that we're I guess we're 500 right now Um, a lot of people expected us to be lower Um, I look at the last three or four days and feel like, you know, we should probably be a couple of games above if we have done our job against Brooklyn and, um, you know, regardless of what happened last night. But those are the ebbs and flows of an NBA season. And, you know, when you have a young team, you go through some of these kinds of uh, growth situations. And, you know, that's kind of where we are. 28 games in, as Rick Carlisle said, 14-14, and 14, the Indiana Pacers here. And Rick Carlisle joins us on this Tuesday morning. Um, if you had to look kind of big picture at the season as a whole so far, again, 28 games in, what have you liked? What haven't you liked about your squad? 
Uh, I've liked the chemistry, the togetherness. I like our I like our skill level. Um, you know, the, some of the uh, some of the inconsistency that we've had at times. Um, maybe a product of youth. You know, certainly there's times that. <laughs> You know, I need to coach them better. You know, I mean, that's it all. You know, every, everybody's accountable for everything that, that happens here. Um, but people have, you know, have taken a liking to this group because we, 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 play, we play fast. Um, we play with energy. The ball moves. Um, we have athletes. You know, we fly around. We attack the rim. Um you know, the three-point shot is is a weapon, um, and so one of the comments you you frequently hear is, "Gosh, that's a fun team," you know, um, and I and I agree with that. So that's been good. Um, the things I don't like, I don't know. I don't really. There's nothing I really don't like about this team. Um, you know, I know that we need to continue to add, um, you know, to add talent as we as we move along and. Um, yeah, I really, it's just been a great experience, you know, the last several months working with Kevin and Chad on, on, on this roster and the way these guys have, have been able to turn the roster over um, and go from a team that was, uh, you know, a, heavily a veteran team um, to a much younger team and a much more athletic team. And I think it bodes well for the future. And uh, it shows the kind of work that these guys, you know, um, meaning Kevin and Chad and you know, Kelly Crosscuff, Ted Wu, that, that they're capable of. Which player on your roster, Coach? Rick Carlisle is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Which player on your roster do you feel like you ask to wear the most hats and have the most different roles depending on the flow of the game? Well, that's easy. It's Halliburton. You know he's he's the he's the guy that has the ball. Um, he's the guy that is really you know. I heard a great a great saying, axiom, whatever, a few years ago. Um, I heard from Jim O'Brien, who did a great job taking over the Pacers um, during kind of their rebuild era before. Paul George and and you know Hibbert and and those guys, and he said you know, and he was talking about the difference between being an assistant coach and a head coach, and he said, you know, when you're the head coach, you're responsible for everybody's attitudes, and when you're the point guard, um, you know, for a team, it's it's much the same thing. You have the ball, you have to have an awareness of. Um, you know who who your weapons are, who needs who needs a touch now, who needs a touch you know sometime in the next two or three, um, and in a sense you're kind of responsible for everyone's attitudes on the floor, and so that's a huge responsibility. Um, he's had a monster year so far. I mean his numbers are ridiculous. You know with oh, what is it eleven assists a game and scoring a lot of points. Um, he's played at a super high efficiency level. Uh, last night we saw, you know, a team come in here in Miami and really made a concerted effort to, you know, take him out and make it really difficult on him. Um, he had a very frustrating game offensively. He only scored one point, but he was still plus seven in the game, which gives you an idea of what great players do. You know, if, if, they, if they can't get involved <laughs> scoring the ball, they find other ways. You know, they move it, they... You know, they get deflections, they make sure the team's running. You know, he did a lot of different things that, that put him in a in a plus category last night. And, um, you know, next time we play these guys, we're going to have to do some things to help him get, get going. But I think, getting back to your question, you know, he's the guy. He's probably our leader in minutes. And so a lot falls on the shoulders of the starting point guard. Be the Pacers and Warriors tomorrow night over Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Rick, going back to your guys' trade with Sacramento last year, I was probably at fault for this, certainly. When the trade happened, I looked at it more Sabonis for Halliburton-related, and I didn't give Buddy Heald enough credit. Then you started to look a little bit deeper into Buddy's career. The dude is available. He's durable. 
and he is such a weapon, I would think, on a scouting report, just with how consistently he's able to stretch the floor. What has he meant to you guys, and in particular, a very young backcourt around him? Yeah, it's it's a great point. Um, he's a guy that gets overlooked. He's been, I think, unfairly maligned, you know, in his career for you know probably assortment of of different reasons. But what we have found, um, and you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, um, we have found is that this guy has an indomitable spirit. To compete, he lives in the gym. <laughs> you know, on game days, you know, we generally do our walkthroughs um, in the afternoon before the game because just to minimize travel. You know, we got a lot of guys that live up north, and you know, he'll be in here in the morning regardless. Um, he comes in at night, you know, um, and he doesn't want to hear about not playing. <laughs> he just he he tweaked his ankle in a game. Um, it was a couple games ago, and you know, uh, our trainers asked him about it, and he said, nah, I, I, I'm good. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk. About it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, <laughs> and so, yeah, he plays. And so, uh, you know, it's part of the culture that we're, you know, we're building here is, you know, guys that obviously are good players, um, but guys that love the game and want to play. Um, and, you know, he, he sets a great tone and a great example. And he has always got a just a positive, good energy, regardless of the situation in the game. He's always in the huddle saying, hey, guys, keep believing, keep believing a lot of time. So he's, he's, been, um, he's been very good as a leader here as well. Coach, when you look at young players, and I'll specifically – point to to Benedict Matherin who obviously is going to be a very good player but when you look at young players that get off to really good starts and and then ultimately and it happens inevitably I mean you were a player so I'm sure you can relate to this from your playing days as well when water starts to find its level a little bit which is a bigger challenge for a young player is it the physical rigors of the NBA schedule which is new to a guy that was used to playing in college or is it learning to adjust to the fact that now defenses are starting to see film on you and are starting to adjust that what they're doing to limit you versus, like, say, your first month in the league? Yeah, well, Jake, the, the truth is it's both. It really is. And until you get into a stretch that we've been in the last two, two and a half weeks, you know, when you're, when you're a young player, you know, early on this season we had quite a bit of spacing, you know, between games. We had a – a three-day break one time. We we may have even had a four-day break, and so usually you got a couple of those a year. Um, and the fact that a lot of our good spacing was early, I think we have another good spacing period, you know, like sometime in February or January or something like that. But when when it gets busy, man, you know, it gets busy. You know, we we played um, seven games in eleven days or something like that on the road trip came back and then we played three and four nights. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're looking at 10 games and whatever the, whatever the minimum number of days is, you know, 15 days or something like that. And, you know, when you go from playing two games a week, maybe in college to now, I think that it's like three, three and a half games per week on average, maybe, maybe three point, you know, Three and three and three quarter game. I don't know whatever it is, but it, it. I mean, it just keeps. It comes at you. It's like you know, it's like a snowstorm, and the snow just keeps hitting your windshield. You know, um, but there's something about him that is a little different than most rookies. He has really a a fire that burns in him to to compete, um, to you know, to be great, to be as good as he can possibly be. Um, there's, there's a, t- there's a physical toughness. There's a mental toughness. Um, you know, he's another guy that loves to play uh, has been dinged up a little bit, but is, you know, doesn't, doesn't like the training room. Doesn't want to deal with the trainers. You know, he just, he he just wants to keep going. And again, this is, this is the kind of guy that, that we're trying to get to be, um, 
to draft or acquire to be Indiana Pacers. And you know, people have a fascination with Ben. You know, I think because they see the they see the the toughness, they see the grit. Um, he does show emotion, even though he has a stoic side to him. Um, and the guy can really score. Rick Carlisle's with us here again. Uh, Pacers and Warriors tomorrow night, four game homestand for Indiana as they just got back from that long Western road trip. Uh, he's with us on the Payless Slickers hotline. The other rookie, um, I think deservedly so, Rick, a, a ton of attention for Andrew Nemhard over the past couple of weeks. Seems like you've thrown him into a lot of different situations, and he's handled them quite well. He strikes me as an individual that if I were you, Andrew Nemhard would make me sleep pretty easy at night. And, and I don't know if a lot of rookies fall into that boat. Um, ha, has he provided that for you and a guy that you know you can throw into different roles and you don't usually have maybe the rookie stress that you do with some others? Yeah, very, uh, very mature, very skilled. Um, not a big talker, but a guy that you know he he assesses situations. He learns very quickly and he figures things out. You know, his college coach um, told one of our scouts, you know, when 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 our guys were were looking at him um, in the la- over the last couple of years, you know. This guy, his term was this guy figures things out. You know, you 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 present you know a set of problems or challenges. He figures he said he figures it out as quickly or more quickly than any player he's ever had at Gonzaga. And Gonzaga's hmm. really established a you know a, a, a major big time program. You know, and this kid played with Suggs and he played with you know a lot of other really high level players um, when he was there. He has. He has gotten on the floor um, mostly because early, early on, I, sh- I should say, because of his ability as a defender. He's been one of our top defensive players. You know, he and Neesmith probably are our two best perimeter defenders um, on the team, and we've got some other guys that are pretty damn good too. You know, Matherin's getting better, Buddy's Buddy's been better than people think. You know, Chris Duarte has has shown that he can. You know, play defense at a at a high level, and um, that said, you know, last night to start the game, you know, Nemhard's guarding Jimmy Butler, and uh, you know, a week ago yesterday, we're playing the Warriors at Golden State, and he's guarding he's guarding Curry, you know, and he had to play forty two minutes, and and really threw up a, a stat line really for the ages. If you're talking about you know some of the <laughs> Some of the best performances ever seen for a 31st pick in the draft, you know, last week against Golden State. So he's been terrific. And he, he, Halliburton, Matherin, I mean, it's a threesome of guards that really puts this franchise in a nice position, you know, moving forward over the next several years, several meaning, you know, anywhere from, <laughs> I don't know, four to four to ten. Has, you know? has so, Neesmith cemented exciting. himself in that in that thought process as well? Yeah, Neesmith is, uh, you know, I, this has been a great opportunity for him because in Boston his, his opportunities were, you know, infrequent. Um, they weren't as consistent as they are here. Um you know, I, I, I classify him more as a wing player than you know one of the one of our you know quote unquote guard guard guards. Right. Um, but last night, you know, he started at the four position for us, and um, you know he was guarding he was guarding Hero, and um, and then Nemhard's guarding guarding Butler. You know, and that's those are two those are two really good players, and that's two young players you know that are taking on some pretty big challenges. Coach, we'll end with this, and again, appreciate your time on this Tuesday morning. Uh, obviously, tomorrow, Golden State, and the unique challenges that come across an NBA schedule, where does Steph Curry and the Warriors rank in terms of preparation for you? Well, they're as difficult as any team you're going to face, you know, really simply because of their shooting ability, um, the fact that they pass and move so well. And Steve has really developed um, – a random style of playing that has a level of unpredictability, even though you know that, you know, Steph and Clay and, you know, now Poole and Wiggins are going to touch it a lot. Um, 
You know, they, they just, they have a style that doesn't involve a lot of play calling. So you have to really prepare conceptually for these guys. And, um, and it's a big task. I mean, and you know, when you got guys like that running around that can throw in the shots that Curry and Thompson and these guys that we're talking about can throw in, um, <laughs> it is one of the things that's difficult is, you know, to just explain to your team that, hey, when they when they do this and like you know, for instance, last week playing at their place and the building gets going, hey, we gotta take the ball out <laughs> and get it up quick and just we got to counterattack, you know, we got to get it up, get it in the paint. We got to get, we got to create a great shot. Um, but it is, it is some kind of challenge. And I still say, you know, the, the, the finals effort that Steph Curry put in last year, the shot making, the timely shot making, um, the diversity with which he scored the ball was one of the great performances I've ever seen. Again, Pacers tomorrow night, Warriors, 7 o'clock tip at the Fieldhouse, and then Friday in Cleveland. Rick Carlisle, the head coach on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Coach, appreciate it, and uh, we will see you at the Fieldhouse tomorrow, all right? Gentlemen, be well. Thank you. Take care. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin, I got to tell you, Mark just showed me the uh, the clip from the breakup and there over Vince Vaughn's shoulder. Yeah, there he is. A little little thinner. If, if Well, yeah, I was like 18, 19. <laughs> Were you in college at the time? Yes. <laughs> wow. We're here, right? That was a great shot. Mark's going to screenshot it. Hey, Tom, it's Mark. And uh, we'll send out that clip from uh, Mark's yes, sir. IMD we page. Kevin and Jake just uh, we're talking a little Purdue action right now. Again, the last Power 5 school to still have an opening for their head football coach. Tom Deanhart from On3.com joins us. Tom, uh, the latest Tuesday morning. What can you share with us on where things stand and replacing Jeff Brom? All I just say this: it's, it's a very tight, committed circle of people involved here. So, so again, um, not much solid info's been leaked out there. I think guys like Mike Berghoff, the chair of the board of trustees, AD Mike Bobinski, and the, and the search firm. I believe it's turnkeys involved. So it's a small committed group that's, uh, again, kept a lid on things. But i tell you what, if you were to back me into a corner, um, I still think maybe one of the leaders in the clubhouse, regardless of what you hear, is still the guy of Western Kentucky, Tyson Helton. I, I do think that they have talked Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator at, at, at Illinois. Would they really go the defensive route? I don't know. But, but those are two guys I think Purdue has at least had some some somewhat serious discussions with. I guess another question I would have, Tom, Tom Deanhart's our guest on the Payless Liggers Hotline, is do you believe that Mike Babinski has prioritized a head coach versus a coordinator who would be getting his first opportunity? It feels to me like Purdue, you know, things are in a good position for the program. So having somebody to just kind of slide over into the driver's seat that has done that before would be more advantageous than it was the last go-round. You agree with that? Yeah, you know, even at at his press conference last Thursday, Mike Bobinski's presser in Mackey Arena, where he talked about the process, what he was looking for, that that was something he brought up. Um, uh, of course, he's going he's gonna to kick every, every, every tire, turn over every stone. But um, you get the sense they wanted a proven commodity, right? The guy who, who sat in that big chair before pushed the buttons at, at a somewhat high level and just been a head coach and ran a program. It's awfully risky, right? It, I, I guess any hire is a risk, but it's awfully risky hiring a coach who's never done it before. And, and look at this, fellas, too. Look at the Big Ten. That there, there were two openings, two other openings in the conference this year, right? Wisconsin in Nebraska. You talk about heavy hitting hires. Matt Rule in Lincoln, Luke Fickle in Madison. 
Are you going to tell me Purdue's going to trot out a guy who's never been a head coach before and try to butt heads with those two guys, Kirk Ferentz and Brett Bielema and P.J. Fleck and company? So, again, I had one head coach tell me, boy, this is a big boy league and it's no place to cut your teeth. Given that, Tom, what do you think Purdue fans, how would they react to a Tyson Helton? Is it Ryan Walter or Walters? With an S. He's got an S on it, Walters. Ryan Walters. How do you think Purdue fans would react? Is it a level of, hey, we understand where we are within the hierarchy of the Big Ten and Wisconsin and Nebraska money is just not readily available or you know maybe program recognition? Or do they look at it and say, hey, Mike Babinski said last week, you know, it would be a different level candidate than it was after the Daryl Hazel firing. Come on, there's money, guys. I mean, these Big Ten schools are so flush with cash. They can make anything happen they want to make happen, I think. Uh, we all know the, the importance of a good football program, too, right? It's the most important entity on any campus from a revenue-generating standpoint. So if they want to make something happen with their checkbook, I always think they can. And as far as how the fans would react, I don't think they would get out their pom-poms and shake them vigorously for either Tyson Helton or Ryan Walters. I'm not saying you can't go back to the same well a second time for head coach, but maybe there's some Western Kentucky fatigue. But you know what? Jeff Brown was a pretty good coach. And I think Tyson Helton's 45 years old, cut from a lot of that same cloth, not as volatile as Brom. But I think he's sort of an up-and-comer, but I still don't think he would make fans get out of their seat and jump and cheer. Let, let, let me throw one other name at you real quick as far as an unproven head coaching commodity that I, I do believe they've talked to to some level is Jamarcus Shepard, the former Boilermaker wide receivers coach who's at Washington now with Kalen DeBoer. He's a guy you guys have probably seen on social media. All the players are behind. They're all stomping for Jamarcus to be the head coach. Uh, a very dynamic personality, a great recruiter, developed David Bell, Rondell Moore. He's a guy that, <laughs> I tell you what would be awfully interesting, guys. You know, let me ask you this, Tom. Tom Deanhart's our guest. A, a guy like that, okay, I mean, it's a little different, I think. If, if, if you're going with first-time guy, you know, sometimes if you get somebody that's in the family that's been there, their kind of understanding of what they're coming into, and maybe that offsets the newness, if you will, yep. of a first-time coach. Having said all of that, do you believe, Tom, that – I don't know how to word this, that the the benefit, and this is not a slight at Purdue at all in any way, shape, or form, but you mentioned, I mean, P.J. Fleck, Brett Bielema, there are great coaches in the league that you're going up against. And so for some coaches, that might be intimidating when you look at where Iowa is and you look at Nebraska's now got a, a coach that you would think can turn them around and you've got USC and UCLA coming into to the West. Is that offset, though, for a coach by the fact that you are in the Big Ten, you are solidly inside of a league with all of this carousel going on, the Big Ten's the place you want to be, and the money is there with the Big Ten? Does that offset the challenges of competition for Purdue that they face? I think so. There's always talk, if you follow coaching carousel stuff and, and listen to some national media, and just talk to people who coach. There's a desirability to be in the Big Ten. I don't care what program it is, Purdue, Rutgers, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio State, for the stability, the prestige, and the M-O-N-E-Y, too, right? And if you catch lightning in the bottle, who knows, maybe you can have a special season like Purdue did. Um, so, yeah, there are challenges of Purdue. We all know them. The job hasn't changed in my lifetime. It never probably will as far as the challenges go. But there's still potential there. There's still money. And that money's being invested as we speak in that $45 million renovation in, in, in Ross H Stadium. Um, and just let me back up a little bit and talk about who you should hire here, too. If you're the AD, you know, you want a guy who knows his X's and O's, right? A guy who, who uh, has a nice playbook, has some experience. But I'll tell you what, these jobs have changed so much in the last three to five years because of two things, the transfer portal and NIL. And, and you got to get a guy who can manage those, those, those two entities and, uh, and to keep rosters together and, and, and to supplement your roster with portal players too. So, again, um, you know, drawing up a nice off-tackle play is great. You know, and having a five-inch thick playbook is great. But this job goes so well, far beyond just being a good X's and O's guy, that, that it's really crazy. 
Again, Tom Dean Hart's with us on 3.com, covers Purdue football with the latest on their search to replace Jeff Brom. Uh, you brought up the transfer portal, Tom. I know from a recruiting standpoint, um, there's been several decommits from the previous class. Uh, you know, To be expected, to be fair, um, where are we at time frame-wise, sense of urgency? You know, The signing period, I believe, begins a week from tomorrow. It would appear like, yeah, obviously you want to get the higher right, but if you want to maintain some continuity within a recruiting class or tap into that transfer portal, um, you would need to make a decision here somewhat soon so the new coaching staff can be assembled and these high school rec- recruits or transfer portal guys will understand where Purdue's going. Yeah, you want to what go fast but not hurry. Is that the right phrase? Sure. Uh, Bobinski kind of talked about that last Thursday, too. They, he said he knows the calendar. He knows the calendar. He knows there's urgency. You're right. December 21st, the first day high school kids can start signing letters. The portal opened for business on Monday. So we're seeing guys pick schools as we speak. I mean, you're, you're, my Twitter timeline blows up. I never knew there were so many guys from, like, Coastal Carolina in the portal. So right now, Purdue's only had two significant guys enter the portal. One real significant one, their guard, Spencer Holstead. I think everybody's sitting tight to see who Purdue hires before they, they dip their toe in the portal. Decommitment-wise, there's five guys already who've decommitted. Could be more. you know. Uh, so, yeah, they've they, they got to get things buttoned up here sooner rather than later. And, and, oh, by the way, Purdue's bowl practices start on Wednesday. they got a game with LSU in, in what, less than three weeks now. So how's that going to look, guys? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get up on a tangent with that. But I already reported Corey Trice isn't going to play. There's talk about Charlie Jones maybe not playing. If he doesn't play, will Aiden O'Connell play? I mean, you can go on and on thinking what that roster is going to look like. So there's just a lot of balls in the air right now in West Lafayette. Tom, I'm going to sound like the biggest moron on the planet here, which is not hard for me to do, right? Are we entering into an area or a time period where the big-time college football programs are going to eventually have to create a position of an assistant coach whose job is to do nothing but scout other rosters for portal purposes and then monitor and recruit the portal as actively as they recruit high school kids in the offseason. I think there's some that already going on. Sort of like uh, the NFL teams have the pro personnel directors who who monitor the rosters of all the other NFL teams. So, yeah, I'm sure that the larger programs have people dedicated to that as we speak and there's 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 tools i know they all use that they can instantly get film on guys once once they hit the portal and the evaluation process begins instantly and honestly guys recruiting out of the portal begins before guys even get in the portal yeah so that's, I, that's what i was going to ask do they i mean tom it, and i don't know the answer to this but are there rules that prohibit and I, I realize right wink wink rules but are there rules that prohibit for example uh a guy is a safety at Kent State, and he just slipped through the cracks in recruiting, or maybe he had some academic issues in high school, and so he didn't get recruited by a lot. Now, all of a sudden, a Michigan State or an Alabama see this kid, and they go, this guy can flat out play. Can they just actively recruit him while he's a member at Kent State and go, hey, you enter the portal. You can come here. We got a scholarship for you. Do you think that takes place? Without a doubt, it takes place. Nobody on the staff at like a Michigan State could contact the kid, but they could have maybe his old high school coach reach Correct. out to the kid and say, hey, you know, Michigan State, they're interested. Or they could have his trainer contact him. They could contact his parents. They just couldn't contact the kid directly, but there's all sorts of ways to get to people without going directly to them. So, yeah, a lot of times, guys, if you're a good player, they say, you know, before we even get in the portal, they, they know where they're going. It's sort of like a really good house that never goes on the market because it's so good. So, yeah, sure, that's and that, that's the problem, the angst a lot of coaches have. You see guys go on rants about it every once in a while. So it's it's unfortunate. So, yeah, this this Purdue coach, I'm sure maybe there's some guys, I'm sure on the Purdue roster who've already been reached out to, believe me. So, yeah, Bobinski's got his work cut out for him, guys. You wonder, everybody asks me, you know, is there a whale out there that we're not even talking about that maybe they could land? <laughs> if so, I'm not sure who that is. The one guy that kind of intrigues me is Alabama's Bill O'Brien. Um, you wonder if Matt Campbell, I'm not saying Matt Campbell's a whale, but if he could ever work his way back on the radar. I mean, you can go on and on with this stuff all day, but and Chris Kleiman at Kansas State was a name that was mentioned to me by 
a pretty reliable source of somebody that's maybe been on Purdue's radar, the Kansas State coach. Coming so, off a heck of a year, obviously. <laughs> heck of a year. And he wants to get paid, too. He makes about $3.5 million right now. And Lance Leipold just up the road in Lawrence got a big deal. He wants a big deal. Uh, but some people think he's happy in Manhattan, wants the Iowa job. That's what he has his eyes on. But anyway, it's going to be fun. Maybe this is the day, guys, it all pops. I think it's got to be sooner rather than later. Certainly, I would think maybe before the end of this week, but but who knows? What do you so, think total that job will pay? The Purdue job? I think I think they they go at least six, right? Jeff was making around five, I think. I think six. I don't think they want to go to Mel Tucker, you know, Nick Saban, nine million dollars a year range. But I think six is pretty hefty. You know, PJ Fleck is signing an extension, and he's getting about six now. I mean, Mel Tucker making nine is just like How about that. Good for him, man. Cash in while you can, brother. Good for him. Tom, last one from me. You, you brought up the name Bill O'Brien. That was a name I, I was kind of intrigued by early on in the process. So was Dave Clawson from Wake Forest. Yeah. Um, was Dan Mullen's name ever thrown around? I'm curious as a couple of those other, you know, probably a little bit more of a name recognition name guys that, you know, SEC, ACC ties. Yeah, Mullen's a name that, that, that was on our board. It's still on our board, but I, I've heard nobody utter his name at all. That doesn't mean he's not a possibility, but nothing on him. We had, we did get some wind that Purdue had talked to Dave Clawson at Wake that he had a family preference to remain in Winston-Salem. Mike Elko at Duke. We're told that he, they did have some level of conversation with Purdue, but he has a $6 million buyout that would make him a prohibitive a candidate. For some reason... Yesterday, the Shane Beamer train left the station from South Carolina. I don't know who started the Shane Beamer rumor. They're still tracking flights. They saw a flight from Anderson, South Carolina to Purdue. And all of a sudden, Shane Beamer was going to be the next Purdue head coach. So I feel confident in saying that that's false. So it's like one little little fire after another during these coaching searches with all the trolls on message boards and whatnot. It's it's just crazy, and there's a lot of misinformation and speculation out there. Flight trolls. tracker, baby. Trolls on message boards. Knucklehead <laughs> Central time. right now. Praying for <laughs> you over there, Tom. <laughs> that time of year, it's crazy. Information, good information is hard to come by. Let me just say that. Information, but it's a good information. It's, it's really hard to come by. I try to turn over as many rocks as I can, text, phone calls, people at all levels, in and around the program or in this college football. And it's, it, it's tough, but it, 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 this is pretty zipped up. Got to think the white smoke coming shortly here from West Lafayette, but we'll see um, how that'll unfold on this Tuesday morning as the search now approaches about a week into it. Tom, I've really enjoyed the conversations the past couple of times we've had you on here, and uh, hopefully we can do it again and maybe talk about an actual hire here in the next few days. Yeah, maybe tomorrow we can talk about a head coach. Love it. Thank you, Tom. You bet.